Chapter Six, Part Two of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Celine Major. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume Three by Eugène Sue. Chapter Six, Part Two of the Anonymous Letter. And now let us turn our attention to others who are also called upon to suffer and taste of heavy sorrows. You know I promised to occupy you in a charitable work which should have all the charm of a romance of real life and i am here to perform my promise what already my lord indeed you rejoice me greatly it was a most fortunate idea of mine to hire the small chamber i told you of in the rue du temple you can scarcely imagine all the curious and interesting objects it has made me acquainted with in the first place your poor protégés in the garrets are now enjoying that happiness your presence secured to them they have still some severe trials to undergo but i will not enter upon the painful details at the present moment one of these days you shall learn how many direful evils may be heaped upon one unfortunate family how grateful they must feel towards you nay tis your name is ever on their lips loaded with praises and blessings ah my lord it is then in my name you have succoured them to increase the value of the gift i confess i did presume to name you as their benefactress besides what have i done more than carry out your promises i cannot allow of even this pious fraud and to-morrow they shall learn from me whom they have to thank i will tell them to the extent of their obligations to you oh pray do no such thing or you will spoil all my fine schemes remember that i have a small apartment in the house that for the sake of much good i hope to effect i am anxious to preserve a strict incognito there recollect also that the morels are now beyond the reach of further distress and finally let me remind you that there are other claimants for your benevolence and now for the subject of our present intrigue i want your generous aid and assistance in behalf of a mother and daughter who from former affluence are at this moment reduced to the most abject penury in consequence of having been most villainously despoiled of their just rights poor things and where do these unfortunate beings reside my lord i do not know then how did you become acquainted with their misfortunes yesterday i was at the temple perhaps madame la marquise you do not know what sort of a place the temple is indeed my lord i do not it is a bazaar of the most amusing description well i went there for the purpose of making several purchases in company with a female lodger who occupies an apartment adjoining my own indeed a female neighbour yes my next-door neighbour on the fourth floor don't you recollect i told you i had a chamber in the rue du temple pardon me my lord i had quite forgotten that circumstance i must tell you that this same neighbour is one of the prettiest little mantua makers you ever saw she is called rigolette is for ever laughing and never was in love upon my word a most uncommon specimen of her class she even admits that her indifference to the tender passion arises less from prudence than because she has not time to think about love or lovers both of which she says would take up too much of her time as working from twelve to fifteen hours daily it is with difficulty she manages to earn twenty-five sous a day yet on that trifling sum she lives contentedly is it possible possible why she even launches out into luxuries has a couple of birds who consume as much food as herself arranges her chamber with the most scrupulous and pretty neatness while her dress would make a modern belle grow pale with envy 
and all this is effected upon five-and-twenty sous a day it is almost difficult to believe it i assure you my fair neighbour is a pattern of industry order economy and practical philosophy and as such i beg to recommend her to your notice in her capacity of dressmaker in which she is reported to have much skill if you will honour her with your commands her fortune will be surely made although there is no occasion for your carrying your beneficence so far as to wear the dresses you permit her to make oh i will take care to give her employment immediately poor girl living honestly and contentedly upon a sum squandered by the rich for the most trifling whim or caprice well now that you have undertaken to interest yourself in my deserving young neighbour let us proceed to the little adventure i was about to relate to you i went as i told you to the temple with mademoiselle rigolette in order to purchase many articles necessary for the comfort of the poor family in the garret when accidentally examining the drawers of an old secretaire exposed for sale i found the fragment of a letter in a female hand in which the writer bitterly deplored the destitution to which herself and daughter were exposed in consequence of the villainy of the person whose hands their money had been placed i inquired of the mistress of the shop how she became possessed of the piece of furniture in question she told me it was part of a lot of very common household goods she purchased of a person still young who had evidently disposed of all her effects from stern necessity and being without any other means of raising money both mother and daughter continued my informant seemed much superior to their condition and each bore their distress with a proud yet calm fortitude and do you not know where these poor ladies can be found my lord i do not unfortunately at the present moment but i have given directions to m de grone to use every effort to discover them and if needs be even to apply to the police for assistance it is just probable that the unfortunate parent and child finding themselves stripped of their little stock of furniture may have sought refuge in some obscure lodging and if so there is every chance of discovering their abode since the keepers of lodging-houses are obliged to write a daily report of every fresh inmate they receive what a singular combination of events said madame d'harville much astonished your account is indeed a most interesting one you have not heard all yet in a corner of the fragment of writing found in the old secretaire are these words to write to madame de lucenay oh how fortunate exclaimed madame d'harville with much animation no doubt the duchess can tell me all about these unfortunate ladies but then added she thoughtfully i do not see after all how we shall be able to describe them as we do not even know their name nay it will be easy to inquire whether she is acquainted with a widow still in the prime of life whose air and manner indicate her being far superior to her present circumstances and who has a daughter about sixteen years of age named claire i am sure it was claire the woman told me the younger female was called how oh, very strange that is my child's name and furnishes an additional reason for my interesting myself in their misfortunes i forgot to tell you that the brother of this unhappy widow died by his own hands a very few months ago madame d'harville was silent for some minutes as though reflecting deeply at length she said if madame de lucenay may be in any way acquainted with this unfortunate family these particulars will be quite sufficient to identify them besides which the lamentable end of the brother must have fixed every circumstance connected with them more strongly in her memory how impatient i feel to question the duchess on the subject i will write her a note this very evening begging of her not to go out to-morrow till i have seen her 
who can these interesting people be from your account my lord i should say they certainly belong to the higher class of society and must therefore feel their present distress so much the more keenly alas to such as they the falling into such utter destitution must inflict a deeper keener sting and all their sufferings have arisen from the knavery of an unprincipled scoundrel a notary named jacques ferrand but i am in possession of other facts of villainy on his part equally black with this that is the name of the person acting as the legal adviser both of my husband and mother-in-law exclaimed clemence and indeed my lord i think you must be mistaken in your opinion of him for he is universally regarded as a person of the strictest honour and probity i assure you i have the most irrefragable proofs of what i assert meanwhile let me beg of you to be perfectly silent as to the character i assign this man who is as subtle and unprincipled and the better to unmask his nefarious practices it is necessary he should be allowed to think himself secure from all danger a few days will enable me to perfect my schemes for bringing him to a severe reckoning he it was who brought such unmerited affliction upon the interesting females i have been telling you of by defrauding them of a large sum which it appears was consigned to his care by the brother of the unfortunate widow and this money was their sole dependence this is indeed a crime of the most heinous description tis indeed of black as dye exclaimed rodolph having nothing to extenuate it and originating neither in passion nor necessity the pangs of hunger will often instigate a man to commit a theft the thirst for revenge lead on to murder but this legal hypocrite is passing rich and invested by common consent with a character of almost priestly sanctity while his countenance and manners are moulded with such studious art as to inspire and command universal confidence the assassin kills you at a blow this villain tortures prolongs your sufferings and leaves you after the death-blow has been inflicted to sink under the gnawing agonies of want misery and despair nothing is safe from the cupidity of such a man as ferrand the inheritance of the orphan the hard-earned savings of the laborious poor all excite alike his unprincipled avarice and that which in other men arises out of the impulse of the moment is with this wretch the result of a cold and unrelenting calculation you entrust him with your wealth to see it is to covet it and with him to desire is to possess himself without the smallest scruple totally unheeding your future wretchedness the grasping deceiver deprives you of your property and without a pang consigns you to beggary and destitution suppose that by a long course of labour and privations you have contrived to amass a provision against the wants and infirmities of old age well no sooner is this cold-blooded hypocrite made the depository of your little treasure than he unhesitatingly appropriates it leaving you to drag on a miserable existence without a morsel of bread but such as the hand of charity doles out to you nor is this all let us consider the fearful consequences of these infamous acts of spoliation take the case of the widow of whom we were speaking just now imagine her dying of grief and a crushed spirit the results of her heavy afflictions she leaves a young and helpless girl to struggle alone in the world a weak and delicate being whose very loveliness increases her dangers and difficulties without friends or support unaccustomed to the rough realities of life the poor orphan has but to choose between starvation and dishonour in an evil hour she falls and becomes a lost degraded creature 
and thus jacques ferrand by his dishonest appropriation of the things committed to his charge occasions not only the death of the mother but the dishonour of the child he destroys the body of the one and the soul of the other and again i say not with the merciful despatch of the assassin's dagger but by the slow tortures of lingering cruelty clemence listened in profound silence not unmixed with surprise at hearing rodolph express himself with so much indignation and bitterness accustomed only to witness the most urbane suavity in the tone and manner of her guest she felt more than ordinarily struck by his vehement and excited language which however seemed to show his intense abhorrence of all crooked and nefarious dealings i must entreat your pardon madame said the prince after a pause for having permitted myself to use so much warmth in the presence of a lady but in truth i could not restrain my indignation when i reflected on all the horrible dangers which may overwhelm your future protégés but be assured it is quite impossible to exaggerate those fearful consequences brought about by ruin and misery indeed indeed my lord you rather merit my thanks for having so powerfully and energetically augmented if possible the tender pity i feel for this unfortunate parent whose heart is doubtless wrung with anguish rather for her young and innocent daughter than for herself it is in truth a fearful situation but we shall soon be enabled to relieve her mind and rescue her from her present misery shall we not my lord oh yes i feel assured we shall and henceforward their happiness shall be my care i am rich though not so much so as i could wish now that i perceive how worthily wealth may be employed but should there be occasion for further aid than i am enabled to afford i will apply to m d'harville in their behalf i will render him so happy that he shall find it impossible to refuse any of my new caprices and i foresee that i shall have plenty of them you told me did you not my lord that our protégés are proud so much the better i am better pleased to find them so for pride under unmerited misfortune always betokens a great and elevated mind but i shall be able to overreach them for i will so contrive that they shall be relieved from their present misery without ever guessing to what channel they owe their deliverance from misery you think i shall find it difficult to deceive them so much the better oh i have my own plans of action i can assure you my lord and you will see that i shall be deficient neither in cunning nor address i fully anticipate the most machiavellian system of ruse and deep combination said rodolph smiling but we must first of all discover where they are oh how i wish to-morrow were come when i leave madame de lucenay i shall go directly to their old residence make inquiries of their late neighbours collect all the information i can and form my own conclusions from all i see and hear i should feel so proud and delighted to work out all the good i intend to these poor ladies without being assisted by any person and i shall accomplish it i feel sure i shall this adventure affects me greatly poor things i seem even to feel a livelier interest in their misfortunes when i think of my own child deeply touched at this charitable warmth rodolph smiled with sincere commiseration at seeing a young creature of scarcely twenty years of age seeking to lose amid occupations so pure and noble the sense of the severe domestic afflictions which bore so heavily upon her the eyes of clemence sparkled with enthusiasm a delicate carnation tinged her pale cheek while the animation of her words and gestures imparted additional beauty to her lovely countenance 
the close and silent scrutiny of rodolph did not escape the notice of madame d'harville she blushed looked down for a few minutes then raising her eyes in sweet confusion said i see my lord you are amused at my girlish eagerness but in truth i am impatient to taste those sources of delight which are about to gild an existence hitherto so replete with grief and sadness and unfortunately so useless to every one alas this was not the life my early dreams had pictured to me the one great passion of life i must for ever renounce though young i must live and act and think as though scores of years had passed over my head alas alas continued clemence with a sigh to me is denied the dear domestic joys my heart could so fondly have prized after a minute's pause she resumed but why should i dwell on such vain and fruitless regrets thanks to you my lord charity will replace the void left in my heart by disappointed affection already have i owed to your counsels the enjoyment of the most touching emotions your words my lord affect me deeply and exercise unbounded influence over me the more i meditate on what you have advanced the more i search into its real depth and value the more i am struck by its vast power and truth the more just and valuable does it appear to me then when i reflect that not satisfied with sympathizing with sufferings of which you can form no idea from actual experience you aid me with the most salutary counsels and guide me step by step in the new and delightful path of virtue and goodness pointed out by you to relieve a weary and worn-out heart o oh, my lord what treasure of all that is good must your mind contain from what source have you drawn so large a supply of tender pity for the woes of all nay the secret of my sincere commiseration with the woes of others consists in my having deeply suffered myself nay and still sighing over heavy sorrows none can alleviate or cure you my lord surely you cannot have tasted thus bitterly of grief and misfortune yes tis even so i sometimes think that i have been made to taste of nearly every bitter which fills our cup of worldly sorrows the better to fit me for sympathizing with all descriptions of worldly trials wounded and sorely afflicted as a friend a husband and a parent what grief can there be in which i am not qualified to participate i always understood my lord that your late wife the grand duchess left no child true but before i became her husband i was the father of a daughter who died quite young and however you may smile at the idea i can with truth assert that the loss of that child has poisoned all my subsequent days and this grief increases with my years each succeeding hour but redoubles the poignancy of my regrets which far from abating appear to grow strengthen even as my daughter would have done had she been spared me she would now have been in her seventeenth year and her mother asked clemence after a trifling hesitation is she still living oh name her not i beseech you exclaimed rodolph whose features became suddenly overcast at this reference to sarah she to whom you allude is a vile unworthy woman whose feelings are completely buried beneath the cold selfishness and ambition of her nature sometimes i even ask myself whether it is not better that my child has been removed by death than for her to have been contaminated by the example of such a mother clemence could not restrain a feeling of satisfaction at hearing rodolph thus express himself in that case said she i can imagine how doubly you must bewail the loss of your only object of affection oh how i should have doted on my child 
for it seems to me that among princes there is always mixed up with the affection we bear a son a sort of interested regard for the being destined to perpetuate our race a kind of political calculation but a daughter oh she is loved for herself alone and when alas one is weary of witnessing the many fearful pictures of fallen humanity and intercourse with the world compels us to behold what joy to turn from the dark pictures of guilt and crime to refresh ourselves by the contemplation of a young and innocent mind and to delight in watching the unfolding of all those pure and tender feelings so guilelessly true to nature the proudest the happiest mother feels not half the exquisite joy of a father in observing the gradual development of a daughter's character a mother will dwell with far greater rapture on the bold and manly qualities of a son for have you never remarked that the cause which still further cements the doting affection of a mother for her son or a father for his daughter is the feeling of either requiring or bestowing aid and protection thus the mother looks upon her son in the light of future support and protection while the father beholds in his young and helpless daughter a weak and fragile creature clinging to him for safety counsel and protection from all the storms of life true my lord most true but what avails it thus to dwell on sources of delight for ever lost to me cried rodolph in a voice of the deepest dejection his mournful tones sunk into the very heart of clemence who could not restrain a tear which trickled slowly down her cheek after a short pause during which the prince making a powerful effort to restrain himself and feeling almost ashamed of allowing his feelings thus to get the better of him in the presence of madame d'harville said with a smile of infinite sadness your pardon madame for thus allowing myself to be drawn away by the remembrance of my past griefs i beseech you my lord make no apology to me but on the contrary believe that i most sincerely sympathize with your very natural regrets have i not a right to share your griefs for have i not made you a participator in mine my greatest pain is that the only consolation i could offer you would be vain and useless to assuage your grief not so the very expression of your kind commiseration is grateful and beneficial to me and i find it a relief to disburden my mind and tell you all i suffer but courage added rodolph with a faint and melancholy smile the conversation of this evening entirely reassures me on your account a safe and healthful path is open to you by following which you will escape the trials and dangers so fatal to many of your sex and still more so for those as highly endowed as yourself you will have much to endure to struggle against and contend with but in proportion to the difficulties of your position will be your merit in overcoming them you are too young and lovely to escape without a severe ordeal but should your courage ever fail you the recollection not only of the good you have done but also that you propose to effect will serve to strengthen your virtuous resolutions and arm you with fresh courage madame d'harville melted into tears at least she said promise me your counsels and advice shall never fail me may i depend on this my lord indeed indeed you may whether near or afar off believe that i shall ever feel the most lively interest in your welfare and well-doing and so far as in me lies will i devote my best services to promote your happiness or that of the man whom i glory in calling my dearest friend thanks my lord said clemence drying her tears for this consoling promise 
but for your generous aid i feel too well that my own strength would fail me still i bind myself now and in your presence faithfully and courageously to perform my duty however hard or painful that duty may be as clemence uttered these last words a small door concealed by the hangings suddenly opened and m d'harville pale agitated and evidently labouring under considerable excitement appeared before madame d'harville and rodolph the latter involuntarily started while a faint cry escaped the lips of the astonished wife the first surprise over the marquis handed to rodolph the letter received from sarah saying here my lord is the letter i but just now received in your presence have the kindness to cast your eyes over it and afterwards commit it to the flames clemence gazed on her husband with utter astonishment most infamous exclaimed rodolph indignantly as he finished the perusal of the vile scrawl nay my lord there is an act more dastardly even than the sending an anonymous letter and that act i have committed for the love of heaven explain yourself instead of at once fearlessly and candidly showing you this letter i concealed its contents from you i feigned calmness and tranquillity while jealousy rage and despair filled my heart nor is this all to what detestable meanness do you suppose my lord my ungoverned passions led me why to enact the part of a spy to hide myself basely and contemptibly behind this door to overhear your conversation and espy your actions yes hate me despise me as you will i merit all for having insulted you by a suspicion oh the writer of these fiendish letters knew well the culpable weakness of him to whom they were addressed but after all i have heard for not a word has escaped me and i now know the nature of the interest which attracts you to frequent the rue du temple after having by my mean and unworthy jealousy given support to the base calumny by believing it even for an instant how can i hope for pardon though i sue for it upon my knees still still i venture to implore from you so superior to myself in nobleness and generosity of soul pity and if you can forgiveness for the wrong i have done you no more of this my dear albert said rodolph extending his hands towards his friend with the most touching cordiality you have nothing to ask pardon for indeed i feel quite delighted to find you have discovered the secrets of madame d'harville and myself now that all further restraint is at an end i shall be able to lecture you as much and as frequently as i choose but what is better still you are now installed as the confidant of madame d'harville that is to say you now know what to expect from a heart so pure so generous and so noble as hers and you clemence said m d'harville sorrowfully to his wife can you forgive me my last unworthy act in addition to the just causes you already have to hate and despise me on one condition said she extending her hands towards her husband which she warmly and tenderly pressed that you promise to aid me in all my schemes for promoting and securing your happiness upon my word my dear marquis exclaimed rodolph our enemies have shown themselves bunglers after all they have afforded you an opportunity you might never otherwise have obtained of rightly appreciating the tender devotion of your incomparable wife whose affection for you i venture to say has shone out more brightly and steadily under the machinations of those who seek to render us miserable than amidst all the former part of your wedded life so that we are enabled to take a sweet revenge for the mischief intended to be effected 
that is some consolation while awaiting a fuller atonement from this diabolical attempt i strongly suspect the quarter from which this scheme has emanated and however patiently i may bear my own wrongs i am not of a nature to suffer those offered to my friends to remain unpunished this however is my affair adieu madame our intrigue is discovered and you will be no more at liberty to work alone in befriending your protégés but never mind before long we will get up some mysterious enterprise impossible to be found out and we will even defy the marquis with all his penetration to know more than we choose to tell him after accompanying rodolph to his carriage with reiterated thanks and praises the marquis retired to his apartments without again seeing clemence End of chapter six read by Celine Major.